Hey, thanks for tuning in to Acts 23, a verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Greg Pettigrew. Acts 23, you know, we've been walking through the book of Acts together this year, Um, and I know we hadn't done that for a few weeks. You know, we had Victory Week last week, and we were off the week before that, and the week before that, that other guy that used to preach here (laughs) preached. Uh, Do y'all even remember his name? What was it? Who? I forgot. I was, either yesterday or today, I was in my office, and I was trying to remember what the dude looked like. I was like, I can't even remember what he looked like, man. And then I saw Easton, and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> now I know. Uh, man. But no, we are, we are walking through the book of Acts. We have four weeks left. We're doing chapter 25. We're doing a chapter a week the rest of the way out. We've got chapter 25 tonight, 26, 27, 28. That's how numbers go. And uh, so tonight we will be doing chapter 28. Just to give you a little recap, because I know it has been a little while, in chapter 24, um, you know, Paul was taken into custody. He was actually, the, the Jewish people had him, the, the Jewish leaders, the, the council had him, and, uh, you know, they were trying to, to kill this guy, and uh, the, the Roman uh, centurion, Lysias, stepped in and, and took possession of Paul and took Paul to go see the governor. The governor at the time was Felix, took him to, to Caesarea to see the governor, and um, you know, they put him on trial there. They, they talked to him, got, you know, these guys came and uh, brought a lawyer to Tullus came and, and presented their case, which they did not have. And it just said all these different things about Paul. You know, they're trying to say that Paul was doing these things, doing these, doing these things, but they, they never could present any proof that he was doing them. And so, uh, you know, even with not being able to present proof of it, uh, you know, Felix, because he was corrupt, decided to hang on to Paul, uh, and, and the reason he did that, one of the reasons was to appease the, the Jewish people, but the second thing was that he wanted Paul to pay him some money to let him go, and, you know, Paul wasn't doing that. Paul being Paul, Paul was just calling him out for his corruptness, you know, <laughs> instead of doing that, but for two years, Paul is in uh, captivity in Caesarea, and that's where we pick up tonight in Acts chapter 25. And so at the end of these two years, it says in verse 1, Now when Festus was coming to the province, after three days he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the, the, and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying in wait in the way to kill him. So after the end of two years, Felix is being replaced as governor by a man named Festus. Festus is actually, you know, where Felix was corrupt, Festus is not. Festus is actually going to be a good governor. He actually, you know, does things by the book, does things the right way. But after he's been in Caesarea for three days, it says that he travels from Caesarea to Jerusalem to go and probably get a lay of the land, just get a grip on the people, just see what, 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 what's what and, and who's who and, and how things are going. And when he does this, these same people who have been accusing Paul over and over and over for all these years, they catch him and they're like, look, we... We're, 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 we're still against this guy. We're going to tell you what he's been doing. We're going to give you all of these facts, <laughs> facts about what Paul has been doing. And, and the reason they were doing that is the same reason that they've had behind the last chapter. And the chapter, every time they've been trying to catch Paul up is because they want 
them to deliver Paul basically into their hands. It says that they were going to lay in wait. They wanted them to bring Paul back to Jerusalem from Caesarea, and they were going to lay that trap that they had been talking about a couple of chapters ago, and then a chapter ago, that, that trap where they were going to catch Paul and they were going to kill him. So they're still trying to do that thing. But it says in verse 4, but Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself would depart shortly thither. He's like, look, I I'm, I'm the one in charge. I'm the one that's going to try this guy. I'm going to keep him right where he is. I know where he is. I've got him where I want him. I'm going to leave him there, okay? But he says in verse 5, Let them therefore, said he, which among you are able, go down with me and accuse this man if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them more than 10 days, he went down unto Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on a judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. So he tells these guys, look, I'm going to leave Paul where he is, but this is what I'll do. If y'all really want to go and, and, and do this again, then y'all, the ones who are ready to accuse him, the ones who are ready to bring this, this proof, because the burden of proof is on you, you go ahead and, and go down here with me, go back to Jerusalem, go back to Caesarea from Jerusalem with me, and we're gonna, see him, we're gonna try him again. Y'all can present your evidence, and I'll listen to you, right? And so the next day, they bring Paul out. In verse seven, it says, and when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. Same thing they've been doing over and over and over. You know, they're laying these complaints. They're complaining all of these things against Paul and saying that Paul has done all of these things, but they cannot prove that he has done what they're saying he has done. These men who are men just like Paul, why are they so intent, you think, on getting Paul. There are probably thousands of people at this point in time who are living as Christians. They're living, they're following the way, they're, 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 they're believing in Jesus Christ and they're living their lives in a manner that, that shows that they're believing in Jesus Christ. Right? There's thousands of them, but Paul, they're so focused on Paul. Why do you think they're so focused on Paul? You think it's maybe because Paul used to be one of them? You know, and it makes them look really, really bad that somebody who was one of the religious elite, somebody who'd been raised the same way that they had been raised, somebody who'd been uh, doing the same thing. Because you, you remember early on in Acts, Paul went and got letters from these same people to go and persecute Christians, right? So this guy who had once been serving them and working for them, doing what they wanted, now he is doing the opposite, and he's doing the exact same, th the exact thing that they were trying to shut down with Paul in the beginning. Maybe that's got a little bit of something to do with it, right? They've seen the, the change in Paul. They don't like the change in Paul because the change in Paul, other people are seeing it too, and the change in Paul is probably making some other people stop and think, some people that they had sway over, some people that was listening to them for a long, long time and thinking that they knew the way, and now they're seeing this man that used to say the same thing they're saying, is all of a sudden saying something completely different, right? And he's proclaiming this name, this guy, this guy that they put on a cross and executed, right? Now, Paul is proclaiming that that guy that they killed is actually alive, you know? So what's going on here? And, and if Paul, who held so much sway with them, is now saying this thing, man, we got to get him out of here. We got to stop this dude doing what this dude's doing. We can't have him convincing other people that what he's saying is true. So they're doing everything they can to get Paul out of the picture. And sometimes that means making things up about him. 
You know, I hope you know that when you start following Jesus Christ, that things are going to be said about you. That some people are going to be out there and they're going to be laying some judgment on you. People that ain't got no place to be judging you. You know, but here's the thing. You ain't got no place to be judging them. You know, as we follow Jesus Christ, we recognize that I'm following the only one who can and is capable of judging me and that will one day judge us all. Right? So for Paul, Paul is understanding of this. These guys, they think it's up to them. They still, they're not even, they, they know that Rome is over them and all that, but they're saying, look, we, we let, let us, we want to do this. We want to handle this, you know? So they're, they're trying to, to get their sway in there and do what they want to do so that they can stop Paul from saying the things that he's saying and proclaiming the name of Jesus everywhere that he goes. Because even when Paul's in prison, that dude is proclaiming Jesus. Don't matter where he is. Don't matter how locked up he is. Right? They think they got him locked up. That dude's just as free as free can be. Because we just sang, who the sun sets free is free indeed. It don't matter where you are. Right? It don't matter about the prison they think you're in. It matters about the person that's within. Right? I just made that up right then. So if y'all want to write that down, some of y'all probably should write that down. If y'all taking notes, write that down. So just, just saying, you know. Um. But so they bring Paul out and these guys are presenting these things and saying these things. And this is what Paul does in verse eight. It says, while he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. Because they were trying to say that he had done all of these things. They were trying to say he's broken our laws. He's broken our traditions. They said that he went into the temple and he broke temple laws. You know, he broke temple rules. They're saying that he is caused, trying to cause sedition against Caesar. He's trying to mess all of this up. And he, Paul's saying, I ain't done none of these things. I ain't offended the law of the Jews. I ain't offended the temple. I ain't offended Caesar. I ain't done any of it. He says in verse nine, but Festus, Willing to do the Jews, a, oh, did, no, this is not Paul talking anymore. This is what's going on. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things? He's saying, Will you go from Caesarea? Let's take you back to Jerusalem and let's judge you in front of these guys. Let's judge you of these things, right? Even though he knows Paul has already been judged, this has already been happening over and over and over again. Verse 10 says, Then Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. Right, because we know Paul is a Roman citizen, so he can ask for this. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. Y'all know I'm not doing these things that y'all saying I'm doing. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. If I have done these things, if I am guilty of these things, Paul says, I'll die. I ain't scared to die. If I've actually done the things that you're saying I've done, I will die for it. But again, the burden of proof lies on them, right? But if there be none of these things whereof that you accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I'm not even leaving it up to y'all anymore. The last part of that verse, he says, I appeal unto Caesar. He's basically saying, I'm not even leaving it up to you, Festus. And so Festus has, the next verse, it says, then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, he had a, a, a local group of probably lawyers, somebody who understood Roman law there, answered to Paul, he said, hast thou appealed unto Caesar, and unto Caesar thou will go. You know, he says, you're a Roman citizen, you've appealed to have trial before Caesar, then that's what's going to happen. 
Uh, you know, and some people said that, that Festus did not even have a right to accuse him. That's a kind of a debated point, whether or not Festus could have allowed this to go on. But he said, no, this, probably this person who knew Roman law said, look, he's got to go before Caesar now because he's a Roman citizen. And he said, I want to go before Caesar. And verse 13 says, and after certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to, to salute Festus. So King Agrippa is one of the Herodian line of kings. You know, all, we, we know Herod. You know, Herod, that was what they always called the, the, the king of the Jews at this point, whoever was the, the leader, the, the so-called king right there. Uh, in this case, it was King Agrippa. He was Herod Agrippa was what he was actually called. Um, and he comes to visit Caesarea, and he brings his sister and among other things, with him. And when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's calls unto the king, saying, There's a certain man left in bonds by Felix, about whom when I was at Jerusalem, the chief of priests and the elders of the Jews informed me, desiring to have judgment against whom. To whom I answered, It is not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die. Before that, he which is accused have the accusers face to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime. Like, man, isn't Festus painting himself in a good picture right there, right? You know, it, feel, I, it feels like in life, a lot of times when we do something that we know is probably not just exactly what we should do, when what we're doing has probably got a little wrong in it and we just have to tell somebody about it, we try to paint ourselves in the best picture we can. Right? We try to make ourselves look like we're the most innocent. Right, We, we try to go ahead and let people know, hey, you know, uh, I'm, I'm okay. I did what I was supposed to do in this. Right, And it's, a, it's a, probably a smart thing that he's trying to bring Herod Agrippa in on this too because Herod Agrippa, you know, he, was, uh, he had the, 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 the rule over the temple laws and stuff. You know, he knew about all of that stuff and understood that. And so he's trying to bring him in and get his advice in this. And so he's telling him that I've got this guy, Paul, here, which Agrippa has probably already heard of who Paul was before. And so um, let's see, what verse did I stop on? Verse 17 here. Therefore, when they were come hither without any delay on the morrow, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought forth, against whom when the accusers stood up, they brought none accusation of the things that I had supposed. I thought that they were going to come and tell me that this guy was doing this, these things, that he was breaking these laws, and what they actually came and told me was basically that he was breaking these traditions or he was doing things that they didn't like. Right, And then he, they started talking about, but had certain questions against him of their own superstition and of one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I doubted of such manner of questions, I asked him whether he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these manners. So he's just really repeating to Agrippa the things that we had just talked about in the first verses of what was going on. But when Paul had appealed to be reserved under the hearing of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I might send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said unto Festus, I would also hear the man myself tomorrow. I'm interested in this, so I want to hear what's going on. I want to hear from him himself, said he. Thou, and, and so Festus said, well, tomorrow you shall hear from him. And so then in verse 23, it says, On the morrow when Agrippa was come, and Bernice with great pomp, and was entering into the place of hearing with the chief of captains and principal men of the city as, Festus, uh, as Festus's commandment, Paul was brought forth. At Festus' commandment, Paul was brought forth. So these guys come in, and they probably come in, it says, with a lot of pomp and flair and, and showing out, trying to show off who they are. And then they bring Paul out in chains probably. And it says, And Festus said, King Agrippa and all men which are here present with us, ye see this man about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me. 
both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. They're saying that this guy is worthy of death. He's done all these things wrong. They're, they're constantly telling him that, 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 you know, this guy needs to die for everything he's done. But verse 25, Festus says, but when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death. Festus right here is basically publicly saying Paul is innocent. Paul is innocent of what these people have said. They, they, I don't see any reason that he should be killed but Paul, it says, in that he himself hath appealed to Augustus, I have determined to send him. So because even though I see that he's probably innocent, he's appealed to Caesar, so I have to send him to Caesar. And he says in the next verse, of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord. Wherefore, I have brought him before you, and especially before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination had, I might have somewhat to write. For it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not with all to signify the crimes laid against him. So he says, I'm bringing you, King Agrippa, I'm bringing Paul before you because I need some advice. I need you to see if there's something that I'm missing, if there's something that these people have said that this guy has done that I'm not really noticing or something that, that you might notice in this situation that I can then write and send to Caesar as a, an accusation against Paul, as something that carries weight, as something that maybe he really actually did because we ain't seeing it, you know? I, I, and so I need your help. I need your advice. And so... This is, you know, Paul, basically, they're, they're trying to decide. They're, they're, these two men, this Festus, basically, but he's bringing King Agrippa, who has a, a little bit of authority, not the same kind of authority as Festus. They're trying to just figure out, basically, if this guy is guilty or not guilty. You know, Festus is, he's already basically pretty much publicly admitted that Paul is not guilty, right? And so that's the question I think that we have tonight through this is, is whether he's guilty or not guilty. But this is the thing. Paul is, is not really, and, and as you've, we've gone through this and we've said over and over and over that these guys have not been able to, to, because one of the things, when you put somebody on trial, one of the things that the prosecution has, one of their things is they, they bear the burden of proof, right? They have to prove that this person has done what they're saying they have done. And they can't do this in this instant. They, they, at no point have they come up with anything that is proof that Paul has done the things that they say he has done. He says, y'all can't prove it. They can't prove, Festus said they can't prove it. They can't prove it. So really, Paul ain't on trial for crimes he's committed. Paul is on trial for being a follower of Jesus. That's what he's on trial for. It's not because he broke Jewish laws. It's not because he went in the temple and caused an uproar within the temple. It's not because he broke Roman laws. It's because he's a follower of Jesus. Right? And that's, that's the thing. And so this, this is the, the thing that, that I think this whole thing has brought to my spirit uh, about this chapter 25, knowing that Paul and this whole chapter, I'm just wondering if the dude's guilty or not guilty. And, and then I start thinking about what is it that we're trying to figure out if he's guilty or not guilty for, right? And, and this is it. If he's guilty or not guilty of being a follower of Jesus. And so then my question comes, if I was put on trial today, or if you were put on trial today, right? Because here, here, here's the good thing, right? We know, because everybody in this room has broken God's law. Everybody in this room has sinned, and we talked about that Sunday. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? We've all made mistakes. We've all done wrong. At some, some of y'all have actually broken law. I haven't, but y'all have actually broken laws out there, right? I never did, right? 
Oh, maybe one. Maybe, maybe, maybe one. A couple, anyway. But I probably, I just broke a law right there. I just sinned right then, lying on the stage, bro, because y'all know I was a criminal. Right? But we all, we've all done wrong. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And, and the thing is, one day we're going to be before a judge. We're going to stand before a judge. And praise God, because of the blood of Jesus, the, law, the things that I've done on this earth, the things that the world would find me guilty of, God is going to say, not guilty. Right? God is going to look at me and he's going to say, not guilty. Because he's going to look at me and he's going to see the blood of Jesus Christ covering my sins. He's going to see the blood of Jesus Christ covering all the wrongs that I've committed. And so in that instance, he's going to judge me not guilty of those things. But I'm not, so I'm not talking about that judgment. That I'm talking about right now. If you were put on trial right now and you were accused of being a follower of Jesus Christ, would you be found guilty or not guilty? Right? That, that's the question, though, that you need to ask. Would I be found guilty if they put me on trial today? Because that's what Paul was on trial for. Paul was on trial. It wasn't about the things that they said he was doing. He's on trial for following Jesus. He's on trial for proclaiming that Jesus, who was hung on a cross and buried in a tomb, ain't dead like y'all say he's dead. The dude is risen to the newness of life, right? He's up there sitting at the right hand of God the Father right now, interceding for you and for me. He is alive now. He's alive today. He's alive. Yes, he's always going to be alive, right? And that's what Paul is proclaiming. And so that's what he's being put on trial for. So when you're put on trial, there are two main factors that will determine your guilt or innocence. Two main things. Two main factors that will determine. Now, there's a lot of other things. You know, when, when you go to trial, and, and, and a lot of us have been in trial, we, we've sat in a courtroom and we've been tried for things, you know, and there's a defense attorney and there's a prosecuting attorney and there's a judge and, and there's all this rigmarole that goes on with telling of laws and this and this and that that's happened and everything. But there are two, there are two main factors that determine your guilt or innocence. The first one is evidence. The evidence. So if you are put on trial today for, a, to, for being a follower of Jesus, is there enough evidence to convict you of it? I'm not talking about what you say because when I asked you that a while ago, everybody in this room said, yeah, I'd be guilty. I'd be guilty. Is there enough evidence because it ain't your, well, the word that comes out of your mouth that is enough. I need the evidence of your life. Is there enough evidence for you to be found guilty of being a follower of Jesus if you're put on trial right now? If I brought you up here and I set you down and we put you on trial, we had a judge, jury, all this stuff, and had you on trial to be, for being a follower of Jesus, is there evidence that could be presented that shows that you are what you say you are? Because here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7. Bring up Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. It says, beware of false prophets. Those people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, who proclaim the name of Jesus. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves, right? Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down 
and cast into the fire. Wherefore, wherefore, by their fruits, by the evidence of their life, you shall know them. By the evidence, by the fruit, you shall know them. It says that a good tree is not going to produce bad fruit and a bad tree is not going to produce good fruit, right? You ain't going to go to a fig tree and pick thorns. You ain't going to go to a thorn bush and pick figs. That's not the way that this works. You're going to be known by your fruit. Does your life bear the fruit of a person who follows Jesus Christ? right? Does it bear the fruit? Does it love? Does it bear love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? Does it bear these things? Does it bear the, 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 the heart of God, right? Do you show by the way that you live your life every day? When, when the world comes against you, when things happen, do you flip out and run back to worldly things and bear bad fruit or do you do godly things and bear good fruit, bear godly fruit? I want to see the evidence. That, what, what evidence are you going to present? Because you are living the evidence out every single day of your life. The evidence is being lived out. That's where we're gaining. That's where we're gathering the evidence from. It's how you're living your life every day. Right? Are you out there and, and, and you, you proclaim in the name of Jesus in here, but you're going out there and you're still getting drunk? Are you, are you proclaiming the name of Jesus in here, but you're still out there sleeping with Tom, Dick, and Harry and everybody else you can? Are you, are you proclaiming the name of Jesus in here, but you're still out there robbing, stealing, lying, doing all of those things? Now, I'm not saying that even the best of trees may have a little bit of bad fruit every now and then, a piece here and there but it falls off and the tree gets rid of it, right? That's why it falls off is because the good tree is getting rid of it so that then good fruit can grow, right? Good fruit can be bared because we all mess up. We all make mistakes. But the, the thing is, if you are known by your fruits, if you're living a life that is God-centered, God-ordained, spirit-led, then when that bad fruit comes, you can't be satisfied with it. You gotta get it gone. The conviction of God says, that ain't for you anymore. Get it out of your life. I wanna know you by your fruit. What is the evidence of your life today? Can I look at your life, how you live day-to-day -day life without you ever opening your mouth and saying to me, I'm saved or I'm not saved. Can I look at your life and say, that's a Christian right there. That's a follower of Jesus Christ right there. For Paul, man, they could not present any evidence to say that he was convicted or that he was committing crimes. The only evidence I see is a man following Jesus Christ whose every chance he's getting proclaimed the goodness of God, who's talking about Jesus that was raised from the dead, talking about that the only way to salvation is through him. There is no other way. There is no other name. It's only Jesus. It's only always Jesus, right? That's what I see when I look at Paul. They're trying to find him guilty of all these things. Paul ain't guilty of those things. What Paul is guilty of is being a follower of Jesus. Can I say the same thing about you today? By the evidence of your life, when you are known by your fruit, what does the fruit of your life look like? What kind of fruit are you bearing? Is it fruit that would find us, cause us to find you guilty right now? 
Then the second main factor in determining someone guilty and innocent is eyewitness testimony. You know, they're always going to bring people up on the stand, both the prosecution and the defense team. They're always going to bring people up on the stand, and they're going to ask them questions about what happened in this situation, what happened in that situation. And so that's eyewitness testimony. It's people who've seen what's going on, and then they present that testimony before the judge and before the jury, right? Is there people in your life and people in this world who could come up here right now and present eyewitness testimony of the fact that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Right? They see the fruit of your life, but they're also they're seeing you do things, right? And, and another, uh, in, in, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus, and this is a place where, it's crazy, this is a place where Jesus is actually judging at the end. He's got the, the sheep on one side and the goats on the other, and he says the same thing to both of them. He says, for I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in right? I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when, when we saw thee hungry and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink, when we saw thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee, or when saw thee we sick or in prison and came unto thee, and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Right? Jesus is going to have one group that he's going to say to them, You that did this, you that did this for the least of these, did this for me. You that didn't do this for the least of these, did not do this for me. Right? You forsook me. Right? So when people, is there people, I witness testimony that people can come up here and they can say, I've seen you doing these things. I've seen you visiting people in jail. I've seen you clothing those who were naked. I've seen you going and ministering to the sick. I've seen you. I've seen you doing these things. I've seen you helping people get into recovery. I've seen you, you know, helping people who are in poverty situations. I've seen the goodness of God lived out through your life, and I can testify to everybody in this room that I've seen that in John Ferguson. I can testify to everybody in this room that I've seen that in Robbie Wells, right? Can somebody testify that about your life, that they have seen you, that they know that they can say that they have, he's done this to the least of these. He's done this for the least of these. She's done this for the least of these. When, when, when we saw people who needed ministering to, they didn't just sit back and say, well, there's somebody else who'll do it. I ain't got to handle it. I, I got, I'm busy right now. I got something else to do. Is there eyewitness testimony that will stand up before a court and say, yes, I saw him do that. Or yes, I saw her do that. Can you get on this stage right now? now and have people in this room come up here and present eyewitness testimony about your life saying, yes, I've seen them serve Jesus wholeheartedly every day. Because the question is, can you be found guilty of following Jesus based off of evidence and eyewitness testimony? If put on trial right now, because if you can, then the verdict will be, well done, my good and faithful servant. But if you can't, you're going to hear the opposite. You're going to hear, depart from me. I never knew you. So that's the question you need to ask yourselves right now. Tonight, laying in bed, Man, it should keep you awake tonight. 
wondering if I was put on trial right now, would they find me guilty of following Jesus? Jesus.